I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night during Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. With school starting next Thursday for students across the district, the meeting focused on back to school updates and featured two reports, one on reforms to the Boston Student Advisory Council and the other on ESSER funding. Ross, good morning. Good morning, Jill. How are you? I am great. Um, I'm excited to hear what you thought about last night's meeting. The meeting started on what seemed like a high note. It sounded like summer was great, graduations happened, backpacks were distributed to some of the students, um, and Marty Martinez was there reporting on vaccination rates. It sounds like in the city of Boston, those are fairly strong. But then it seemed like the conversation started to turn rather quickly when the school committee members poked and probed about the details. And there, maybe we started to see some glimpses of what might be operational issues. Let's start by talking about vaccines and COVID-19 testing. So in the city of Boston and in Boston Public Schools, who is supposed to be vaccinated as everyone goes back to school next week? Right, Jill. So there is a requirement that all staff must be vaccinated. Uh, if you're a city in Boston employee, particularly, you must be vaccinated to work in the city of Boston. And that was uh, a mandate that was put in place by um, acting mayor Kim Janey a few weeks ago. Um, there was a question by a school committee member that, that asked, you know, how are we doing towards those vaccination rates for all staff? And the superintendent gave the answer. Well, um, it, you know, Chief Martinez will know the answer to that. Um, when, when Chief Martinez came on the meeting and was asked, how are the vaccination rates for staff members in the city of Boston um, for the school department? Chief Martinez said, well, the school department must know that information. And so it seems like nobody really knows how the vaccination rates are going um, with our staff. And uh, it is a requirement. And if, if staff do not get vaccinated, they must sign on for weekly testing. Um, the superintendent alluded to maybe we'll know that those these numbers by September 20th. Um, that is well after school starts. Uh, you know, quite frankly, Jill, families deserve to know: um, Are all staff vaccinated? Is their classroom teacher vaccinated? Are all the uh, the staff in the school vaccinated so that, that they can feel safe uh, with the adults in the buildings? And, and quite frankly, if staff are not vaccinated and don't sign on to testing, um, we have to find other staff to to fill those positions. Um, and we are one week away from school opening, uh, and I would have expected that the city would have this data um, and uh, certainly that the superintendent would have this important information to present at school committee. Right, because it would seem like there should be a process then that could have been easy, easily articulated, that, right? If, this, if the city, the entire city is, is requiring its employees to be vaccinated, there must be some process of submitting your vaccination card and you would imagine the school district would be responsible for their employees who are also city employees and fall under that same restriction. But did we hear anything about that last night? We heard nothing. We just heard, uh, we heard from the superintendent pointing her finger over to Chief Martinez and Chief Martinez pointing his finger over to the superintendent um, without any answer on the data. And we, quite frankly, Jill, we won't know the answer to this. We, we, uh, the next school committee meeting is September 22nd. Uh, school starts in one week. Um, and this really important information about, uh, number one, our staff vaccinated uh, was unanswered. I mean, I think you make a good point about um, if everyone's required to be vaccinated and we're going back to school next week, there's also the question of what is the process for those who maybe just got their first vaccine a week ago, or like we, we have no idea of time frame and will those staff be allowed 
into the district to teach or to work while they're going through the vaccination process. So there, there was a lack of clarity, I, I think, in what in what you're describing. It, and then there's also this question of testing. And so it sounds like if you're not going to show proof of vaccination, you're required by the city to be tested. Students also are to be tested, but are they required? There, there was a question about, about this. Um, and so maybe we'll just play that to set this up. Uh, School Committee Chair Jerry Robinson asked about how we're going to ensure the greatest number of students get task tested. Let's play that. I know that right now parents have to opt in to the testing, et cetera. I'm not sure if there's any legal ramifications or has there ever been given thought to have people to opt out? So, so Russ, what's happening here? That seems like a good idea, but but how are we, how is the school district thinking about, or how do they express that they're thinking about um, COVID-19 testing? Right. So Jill, as we know, we, so all staff are required to be vaccinated. All the adults are required to be vaccinated. And if they're not vaccinated, they're required to be tested weekly. We, we know that uh, our students ages 12 and up are able to get the vaccine and we hear the rates of vaccination are getting higher with the students in ages 12, uh, 12 to 18, um, approaching about 50% or a little bit higher, which is really, which really good news. Mm -hmm. um, but we also know that our students uh, who are younger than 12 years old cannot get the vaccine. And therefore testing is a really important factor to keep schools open and keep kids safe. Mm. Um, the district last year had a very small percentage of students uh, operating uh, in a weekly testing procedure. Um, and they, they recently sent out a rather long um, uh, uh, approval from parents to opt in to testing. Um, and they didn't really give any data on how many families have signed on yet. Um, right. or what their strategy was to make sure that all students were getting, were signed up for weekly free testing um, that can be offered through the district. And when questioned, could we just do an opt out rather than having every family opt in and choose to do testing? Can we just have families opt out? The answer from the superintendent and the team was no, we're not allowed. We're not allowed to do that. Um, I think this is such an important point here, Jill, is like we, we have this issue of um, making sure that every student's vaccinated but also making sure that we're keeping our schools open by testing kids, identifying who may have the virus, um, who may be a close contact and who should isolate to make sure our, our classrooms can stay open and, and our schools can be safe. Well, and can you just contrast that for a second? Because I mean, there was an article in the New York Times this past week about what LA County's school district is doing. And it's, I mean, it's super hardcore with the purpose of both public health and um, and safety in schools and making sure that um, as many kids who can go to school are in school at all times, that must have taken a great deal of work. You can't imagine that they whipped up that plan in minutes. Can you just contrast what's happening here in sure. Boston with what's happening? Sure. Right, Jill, we have the second largest district in the country um, who essentially is saying, you must be vaccinated uh, if you're eligible for a vaccine to attend school. You must um, uh, be signed on for testing if you want to attend school. So essentially everybody in LA is getting tested weekly or has a vaccine and or has a vaccine um, and is attending school. Jill, LA has been planning for a year for mm. opening up school. Um, BPS seems to be planning the week ahead for yeah. opening up school. I mean, BPS 
essentially puts their hands up and says, look, we're doing the best we can. We, we're, we're trying to get families to sign on to testing, uh, but we can't require them. And, and we're, we're going to continue to send out notifications in our BPS weekly newsletter. We, we need a little bit more than that, Jill. Like we got to get a little more proactive in the city of Boston than just leaving it up to hope, right? We have to have a, a strategy, details, reporting mechanisms, data, tracking, weekly reports on how we're doing towards these goals. Um, and we are way too late. Right, Jill, I mean, this, this should have started a year ago. We've been talking about these issues for a long time about what school will look like for reopening. LA has a really strong plan, has been implementing that plan for uh, and, and doing it for a year. And here we are in BPS again, one week before school is going to open. We don't know how many people have been vaccinated. We don't know what the strategy is to get our, all our kids testing uh, every week. And we're sort of, as we've seen over and over again with our school department, sort of throwing up our hands and saying, you know, we're doing the best we can. This is really hard. Well, and when you talk about throwing up our hands, it, that seemed to happen as the conversation moved to transportation and busing. And for many, many school committee meetings now, we've heard um, the superintendent praise the transportation department and talk really highly about um, the folks who are running the busing program for the city of Boston. But then we hear last night that there aren't going to be enough bus drivers or bus, bus monitors. So what are the ramifications of that? Jill, this is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. We are one week from the start of school, one week from the start of school. And last night we heard um, we don't have enough bus drivers to transport our students to school every day. And when asked, when asked, um, the, 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 the school committee member said, well, how will we know, uh, how will families know which, if they have a bus or not? And the answer was, we don't know. We don't know yet. The school department doesn't know. I don't know. I yeah. don't understand. I've never been. I mean, I've spent a lot of time in Boston public schools, Jill. Yeah. I've never, ever heard of a report where we just said we're one week out from school starting and we just don't know if we can provide transportation to families. And, and we haven't told those families if a bus will come or not. Um, I mean, this is unbelievable, right, where we've heard accolades for a year about how we are doing so well with transportation. And just a week before school starts, we say we don't have enough drivers. We don't have enough uh, bus aides on, on the buses for our students with disabilities. And in fact, our routing started way too late. And we just, we can't guarantee that students will be transported uh, to school on day one. And by the way, traffic is getting much more difficult. And so therefore our on-time performance will also really suffer. So all of a sudden, I think BPS just realized that school starts in a week and we need drivers and mm -hmm. that traffic is bad in Boston. I think we've known that for decades. Right. Traffic is bad in Boston and we need drivers to drive the buses. There must be more than just saying we don't have enough drivers. What is the plan? Where are the details? How will we know? Right? None of that was discussed last night. And I am I'm blown away, Jill, by the, the just, I guess, the lack of urgency from the Boston Public Schools um, and just saying, I'm sorry, we won't be able to provide transportation to our students. Yeah. It, well, and also just the lack of um, capability. You know, who's who's in charge of testing? Who's in charge of transportation? And how can they be failing so badly before a single student even enters the school building? It feels, feels very troubling. And, and then just to add on top of this, the next conversation was about food last night. And of course, 
across America, we've all learned over the past year what a critical role schools play in ensuring that vulnerable children especially get three meals a day. So can you talk a little bit about the report on food last night? And this worried me, did it worry you? Oh, I'm, I'm so concerned, Joe. I mean, we heard, uh, we've been hearing about My Way Cafe and about um, the school system was going to open all kitchens and, and essentially cook on site at every school this year. Yeah. And last night though, we heard something different. We heard, well, we have way more vacancies than we thought we would have. So over a hundred vacancies in our schools. They have vacancies in cooks and cafeteria managers. Um, so they don't know how they're gonna have enough staff to actually cook food, uh, even though they intend, they wanted to cook food at schools. And then the school department said, and you know, we we're getting a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables in, we just can't get them, we can't cook them appropriately. So we're, we're gonna keep them in storage. Um, and then they also said, we have a problem with our grocery contract. We're not sure we can get um, the food that we should be getting to our schools because our grocery contract is delayed. And um, so all of that being said, the, the school department kind of said, well, look, I think we're going to just, just be serving, we may be serving plastic wrapped shelf stable food for a while uh, because we haven't put in the, the things in place to scratch cook at our schools. I mean, we're one week out from school, Jill. And all, all of a sudden we just heard we can't provide transportation to our students and we're going to end up serving unhealthy food to our kids because we don't have our act in order um, to ensure we have staffing and food in place at our schools. So does it feel a little bit like what they're saying is um, we intended to do the right thing. We, we know what the right thing to do is, but because of circumstances beyond our control, even though are they really beyond their control, uh, we're not, that's not going to happen. We're, we're not, we're going to buy fresh fruit and we're going to store it, which by the way, it's going to go bad. We're going to, but we're, we're actually, what we're actually going to do is serve plastic wrap preserved food, but it's okay. We tried and we do know what the right thing to do is. Yeah. And, and I think a little bit of this too, Jill is like, it's just saying, oh, and it's too late. You know, school starts in a week. We can't do anything about it. Our hands are tied. I mean, what we'd expect to hear Jill is a plan is how are we going to manage this problem. This is a national problem, by the way, with labor. Like we've heard, like these are all massive companies are dealing with this issue. Every school district around America is dealing with this issue, but we would expect to hear a plan. Right. We'd expect to hear, um, here's how many students may be impacted by the, the, uh, the number of drivers we need for transportation. Here's how we're gonna increase MBTA access for those students. Here's emergency backup plans for using um, private vans or private transportation. Here's how we're gonna ensure every student who needs to get to a school will get to a school. And we're gonna manage this by number by number, child by child until this problem is solved. Rather, what we hear from BPS is, this is a really big challenge and it's hard. So we may not have buses on day one. Or we hear, we wanna serve fresh food, but it's too much of a challenge for us so we're gonna serve plastic wrapped food instead, right. rather than hearing how you manage this problem down. Right, right. because a lot of this, they, they were pushing a lot of this onto issues around uh, hiring. And like you said, there are leaders across um, the country who are dealing with hiring issues, but they, if they're not managing their business as well, their profits are impacted, their revenue is impacted here, you know, the unfortunate thing is that it's just student experience and caregiver experience that's impacted. It actually, the revenue keeps coming. We can spend dollars really, really poorly. And 
if no one cares about the kids or their families or their caregivers, then like who's carrying the burden? The burden's not carried by school committee. It's not carried by the superintendent and her staff. It's just carried by these poor kids who are attending the school system. It is, I mean, you ask about accountability, Jill. It is really troubling um, to hear that the basic services of our school system are will not be provided to our students in one week. And there should be, I mean, how can this happen? How can we be in this position? Well, it's because of the lack of accountability. It's the lack of accountability from the superintendent and her team to the school committee. And it's our school committee's lack of accountability from the mayor of being held accountable for doing their job. And it's, and quite honestly, it's the public's job here to hold the mayor and the school committee accountable for doing their job. Right. And it seems like um, in, in a number of examples we've been seeing week after week, uh, there is a complete lack of accountability in this school department. Right. And it, it seems like the way that the superintendent manages the school, school committee, who represents and serves at the pleasure of the mayor, who represents kids and families and um, residents of Boston, it seems like the way that the superintendent manages through all of these things is to say, um, here's the problem, but in the 11th hour, there isn't really a solution to it. So, because we saw this happen with summer school where they set an expectation, but they didn't deliver on it. Today, we heard about transportation. We heard about food. We also heard that there's a whole bunch of ACs that they've come, they're in storage, but we don't have anyone to install them. So maybe by Christmas, classrooms will be cold. It feels like someone's playing the fool here. It, it, it seems like the, the school department's strategy here, Jill, is, is like a filibuster, is, yeah. is if we wait long enough, we won't be held accountable. So summer school's example, uh, the school department said, we're going to have every student um, have a summer school program this year. And then they didn't report on it and talk about it for months. And then lo and behold, during summer school, they said, oops, only you know half, the, half of the summer school seats are filled. Um, and you know what, we'll have to do a better job next year. But there's no accountability because you can't hold us accountable for it because it's too late. Right. right. And the same thing with ESSER money. We, ESSER money was said, oh, we're going to vote on the ESSER money. Um, and lo and behold, the, you know, they sort of filibustered, waited just long enough where there could be no vote because they allocated the money already. Right. Right. Or the school department saying we don't have transportation um, the week before school, but nothing we can do about it now because yeah. it's too late. So That's it's, it's almost as if, right, the superintendent just and her team sort of just, I think, do the best they can to make things extend as long as they possibly can so that they cannot be held accountable for the failure of the system. Right, except for then they fail. And then and then the only folks that suffer are the kids and the families and the caregivers. And, and so you could, we heard at one point in the meeting, school committee chair, Jerry Robinson, basically trying to operationally manage this by sending a plea out to the audience who is listening and, you know, and, and so let me play that quote for a second. I don't know whether we have parents who might be looking for a mother's hour kind of job that could ride a bus as a monitor and help with lunch and ride home. I don't know how creative we can be about, um, you know, filling these positions, but um, critically just wanting everybody to remember it's for our kids. So, so Ross, it's, it's for our kids. 
is what the school committee chair is saying. She's trying to do the right thing, but is is this the way that she should be managing through <laughs> situations that are- Oh my goodness, Jill. I mean, we, we've resorted to having school committee meetings where there's the, each member of the school committee is sort of offering, um, is anybody listening? Can Maybe we can solve this problem or here's an idea. Here, here school department, maybe we should try to ask families um, if they want to help out, or if there are parents who um, can can help out on our buses or, or help out in our cafeterias, I mean that we've resorted to having school committee meetings that, that are like problem solving for the basic functions of the school system. Right. Um, rather, the the superintendent's job is to come to the school committee with the solutions and say, "Here's the problem. Here's a solution, and here's how we're going to implement it, and hold me accountable for it." Um, but now we have school committee meetings where it's sort of like superintendent's team saying we can't solve this problem and school committee members making pleas out to the tens of people listening uh, if they can help us solve these ma massive operational problems. Right. So so then, then the school committee meeting moved along and the first presentation was a presentation from BSAC, from the student um, council. And as most of our listeners probably know there have been massive issues with adult supervision of this program, maybe bordering on issues of abuse. It's been reported in the Globe and elsewhere. How do you think that presentation went last night? Well, Jill, I mean, we heard a presentation from BSEC that was very much like the annual presentation we hear from BSEC every year, which is basically saying, look, we, we have these bylaws, we have representation from every school, student voice matters. Um, and, and here's how we're handling it. It was wonderful to hear from our students. It's always wonderful to hear from our students. The problems we've had with BSAC are not with our students. They're with the adults who have been um, engaged with our students. And that is the issue we should be discussing. Um, how do we ensure that our students are not receiving um, some uh, uh, counseling in someone's basement, basement any longer, right? Those are, we, we've seen borderline abuse happening here with students in our district, that should be um, the presentation we should be hearing is how to keep our students safe. And I was disappointed, Jill, in, in the fact that we didn't hear anything about the resolution for the a failure to keep our students safe from BSAC. It was wonderful to hear from our students. We need to keep our students safe. Yeah, that's, yes, it's such a good point. You mentioned a couple of minutes ago that this feels a little bit like governance by filibuster and I, I'm wondering, you know, ultimately in, in that scenario, and I think it's it's a good analogy, ultimately those who are impacted just have to throw up their hands and surrender. You talk about how, you know, we just let the problem school committee lets the problem go and go and go until ultimately there is no solution except for the bad solution. And and this seemed to happen again last night with the discussions around the EMK. And so can we talk a little bit about that? Because the superintendent opened by saying, this is resolved and it was the principal's decision. Here's what she said. EMK leadership has agreed that moving to the former Endicott school building is the best option for now so we can start the school year. My team is committed to following through on some of the leads we have now. So EMK leadership has agreed to moving forward and moving over to the Endicott. But what do you think about this framing? We've heard over and over again that the Endicott building is not large enough, does not have the appropriate spaces for students, the 11th and 12th graders to be learning um, at that building. And it's an elementary school. It's not designed for a high school. And the school's incredibly concerned. And for the superintendent to say, well, the head of school agreed that this is the uh, an appropriate space, 
though it's because the head of school had to be forced into saying, okay, I guess we have to go somewhere. We have one week of before school starts, we need to have our students in a building. So there is no other solution. So what would we expect the school to say is, okay, we'll start to go to school um, at the Endicott building. This is ex another example of let's just wait it out so long sure. enough that, that we are forcing people to say, okay, I guess we have no other choice yeah. than to do this. I mean, Jill, um, I, I just go back for a second. This came up with the ESSER. There was an ESSER presentation last night yeah. on, on really funding. And um, we've heard for months that there will be a vote by this school committee on the ESSER funding and that the school committee would have to weigh in and approve how the ESSER funding was going to be spent. We heard that from Vice Chair O'Neill. We heard it from Mr. DeArugio over and over again, where he kept on asking for a vote. Last meeting, he said, will we have a vote on this? And right. they said, yes, at, at this meeting. Yeah. Well, you know what, Jill? It's too late because the ESSER money has already been allocated. So yeah. last night we heard a presentation about how the ESSER money was going to be allocated. Did we hear a vote? No, because it was filibustered long enough that there is no input from the school committee. There are questions from the school committee, right? How will we um, know that this is money is being used effectively or um, how much will each school get? And the answers to those, well, well, we'll, we'll tell you that at a later time. But there is no voice from the committee uh, on using these ESSER dollars. The school committee also asked about EMK building and said, how will, will we get a better facility for them? And the, school, the superintendent said, yeah, eventually we'll, we'll try to figure something out. Yeah. Right. But again, there's no, there, this, there's no accountability in this school system any longer. Because if the superintendent and her team keep on waiting so long to provide information, it really makes the school committee inconsequential. Well, and to exemplify the point about what are the ramifications and who suffers, there was a student who's now an alum who stood up and said this. I was here to, to speak on the, the relocation of the buildings. And uh, the promise is that I was told when I was a freshman at EMK that we were getting a new building. So Ross, he was basically saying he's graduated now from the EMK, but was saying, you know, when I was a freshman, we were told that we were going to be getting a new building. And he went on to say, you know, I was pitched on something that has never been delivered. It, is this a good example of what is happening kind of week after week, month after month between the superintendent, the school committee and the students who attend the schools? Absolutely. I mean, this student was saying, look, my freshman year, I was, you know, we, we, I was told, come to the school because we're gonna have a great new facility. Um, this, this student, that was like six years ago, right? And here we are with now the facility in, a, um, in an elementary school that, that's not fit for the school. Uh, this, is, this is over and over again. All, you know, we hear about these massive plans and build BPS and all these great things and everything is fine. We have a great plan. And then we hear about problems. Mm -hmm. We hear about the reality of the consumers of our school system. And EMK is a great example, the Horseman School for the Deaf, which we do not have a solution for the Horseman School for the Deaf. We can keep going. These are gonna come up over and over again because there is a massive disconnect from the school department, sort of high level policy, placating the school committee, telling them everything is fine. Mm -hmm. And the reality on the ground is that it's not. And because there's no accountability, in the school system, and because there's filibustering every meeting, we never get down to the real conversations. So, and you talked, you, you started to talk a little bit about the ESSER funding, and the ESSER funding presentation followed the 
BSAC presentation, it, it felt very light on details. And in fact, some school committee members um, seem to notice and complain about this. Can you just talk a little bit about where we are with this you know, flood of funding that's coming to Boston from the federal government? Its intention was to take care of the students and the district um, in terms of ramifications from COVID-19. What's happening with it and are good decisions being made here? Certainly you already made the point that that school committee didn't vote on it, even though a vote was promised by the folks who represent the residents of Boston. So so what's going on? Right. So so Jill, I mean there there's no measures really put into place to say, here's how we're gonna hold ourselves accountable for these funds, right? There's no sort of here are the outcomes we want to accomplish, hold us accountable for the investments of these funds and these measures. Um, and, and really, there was, there was sort of like this, the high level part of this was like, okay, we're going to do 50% of the money will go to central office for central based programs and 50% will go to schools. And that money will be used uh, to support um, recovery for our students. Well, the, the fact of the matter is, Jill, like schools just got the money um, as of August 20th for this school year. So they had to plan very quickly about what they're going to do. One of the strategies the school department noted that was really promising was to hire uh, paraprofessionals in our early childhood classrooms to help support student learning. But we also just heard that we can't hire, we can't find paraprofessionals to work, right? And we have massive vacancy problems. So we're, we're hearing both, right? We're hearing the school department saying, oh, here's some great strategies. And then we're hearing, and we can't hire people for, for, for hourly jobs or in our classrooms. There's a complete disconnect here, Jill. And our school committee members were basically saying, hey, if we don't know how to use this money, can we just buy things? Can we buy things for our students? Can we maybe even give our families the money? Like if we don't know how to use it, let's not waste it, right? Yeah. And we're going to experience a huge cliff, a funding cliff that we've talked about over and over again, yeah. that we may have to lay off educators. We may have to do hard things in the future if we invest these funds the wrong way. So again, you know, there's a lack of planning, a lack of oversight, a lack of clear accountability, for these funds. And the last thing I'll say, Jill, is one of the major things that these funds should be used for is compensatory services for our students with disabilities. Mm -hmm. Our students with disabilities, many of them did not receive the appropriate services while they were out of school for 18 months of in-person learning. Mm -hmm. And they were not able to access learning appropriately virtually. There should be, a, what we've heard is that there's a large percentage of students who have yet to receive those compensatory services. Mm -hmm. Let's focus on that. Let's focus on one thing, have measures and accountability and ensure that that happens rather than saying that everything is going to just happen and don't worry, everything is fine here. No, you're, I mean, that's such a good point. Measures and accountability, something that we call for at, like, almost on every one of these um, summaries, it, it, it just went out the window in this meeting. That nothing, no one's being held accountable for anything. There was no data, there was no information, there was a lot of hand wringing, and there was a lot of pointing fingers at things like the hurricane and um, you know, other things that are happening nationally as the reasons why we're we're gonna fail at opening the schools it next week. I'm uh Jill, I've never uh, I've never seen um such disarray. Uh, in a school system, as I'm seeing right now, where we cannot guarantee that students will have transportation to school in one week, or that they will have healthy food, or that we'll have enough adults to operate our school system one week from the opening of school. So Ross, where, where do we go from here? So is, our, is it just that we, next week, maybe kids are 
left on street corners and we just expect that our students are going to eat crappy food until something I don't like what what is supposed to happen next now Jill I think that's a it's a really great question I'm I'm really concerned that we don't have any accountability for knowing how kids will get to school what they'll be eating or even if staff uh, will be vaccinated by the right. first day of school because we don't have another school committee meeting until September 22nd um, so I think all the questions you ask are good questions and we don't really have any insight on what will be happening next week but let me let me be clear about this Jill the, the ESSER funding let me just go back to this for a second the ESSER funding is meant to solve for these exact problems, right? The school system could be using the $100 million to contract with a private van or bus company to provide a transportation fleet. They could be incentivizing drivers or in, by paying them more, incentivizing aides by paying them more. They could contract with a job placement company to provide food service workers. They right. could pay red, local restaurants to provide food for kids, healthy food to kids for school every day. The federal government gave us $100 million for this exact purpose. And there was an absolute disconnect from the massive problems the school, the, the school system is experiencing to how the ESSER money is being used. And I just wanna be clear about that. The school system needs to rethink ESSER money if they can't provide basic services of our students beginning one week from today. Well, Ross, that is what happened last night at the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. And so we have many, many questions that we think are worth asking. Here are a few of them. How will students get to school in one week? And when will families know if they have transportation to school or not? What is the plan for ensuring students receive healthy food rather than plastic wrapped processed food? How many of the staff at Boston Public Schools have been vaccinated and or have signed off for weekly testing. What is the plan for the Horace Mann School for the Deaf? What is the plan for the long-term strategy for the Edward and Kennedy School? And when, when are we going to see the simulation for the exam school admissions policy? Will it also be presented at a point that's too late for school committee to take any action? How will we measure the impact of the ESSER funding to help in, inform the round three of ESSER funding? And we haven't heard any updates on this yet, but the superintendent will hear whether or not she passes her licensure exam on September 10th. What will happen if the superintendent does not pass this exam? And of course, there are ways to engage and get involved. Watch the Boston mayoral debate on September 9th at 7 p.m. and learn where candidates stand on education in Boston. And of course, vote for mayor in September and November elections. Education should be a core issue for all elected officials and your vote matters. Thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston students. Have a great day.